I'm a pretty big Yoohoo fan. Chocolate Yoohoo. Acne, scrawny, Tasmanian Devil t-shirt. Oh, I hope I can say this in church. Uh, rated R for violence. Uh, Gladiator, just love the comeback story of Maximus in that one. Oh man, 1986 Nintendo Entertainment System, we called them NES for short. My favorite candy bar is one of the most underrated, underknown Reese's candy bars of all time. Reese's Nutrageous, Menard's King Size, every time. It's basically my lunch on those days. I'd say my hidden talent is a pretty impressive Velociraptor. Spent a few days and nights practicing that in front of the mirror during the Jurassic Park era. I'm pretty proud of that. In the picture is my wife Jessica of 18 years and our kids Cole, Camden, Case, and Callan. Well, a little bit of fun getting to know me today, uh, but also in the weeks ahead, we'll have some fun getting to know some of our other pastors as we step into a new message series here today, uh, where we actually had a working title for this message series. We're going to call it No Pastors, uh, but not like no as in no smoking or no loitering or, you know, no leaving that like toothpaste gum in the sink when you're done, people, like just one little... Done. Takes care of it every time. That's all you got to do. Uh, but no is in like K-N-O-W, like no pastors. How can we get to know more of our pastoral team on staff as well as, or even more importantly than just a few fun facts, how can we know what God has laid on their hearts for us as his church? And so uh, this idea of overflow actually comes from the words of Jesus with our message series, our, our actual title of the message series. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 45. He says that out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. And so we look forward to hearing from some of our other pastors, some of the overflow of their heart as they speak to us uh, God's word uh, for us as a church in these days, in these times, in the weeks ahead. And so uh, we're going to hear from several different voices, but today you're stuck with me, the first voice in the series. As uh, today we're going to look at a verse, just one verse, that speaks to uh, the overflow of my heart for us as a church in these unique times. And that verse is Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, if you want to turn there, uh, or just it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, and as we do that, just heads up, my plan is to preach shorter today. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> Rick didn't realize he cheered out loud. He's like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, right, Rick? My plan is to preach shorter so that when we are done here today with a little extra time that, you know, kind of if I hold up my end of the bargain, you're going to have a little bit of an action item to, to really really close the service yourself, uh, to really do as it says in James, to not just be hearers of the word in a passive way, but to be doers of the word. So we're going to do what God's word calls us to do today at the end of our time together. So just a heads up uh, for that. So you, you don't want to you know, be on Facebook or signing up for ministries the whole time. You have to listen a little bit, contrary to Jonathan's encouragement. 
So, okay, with that, let's take a look at Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, uh, the overflow, really, yes, sure, of my heart, but more so the overflow of God's word for our hearts and our lives here today. It says it this way. It says in Psalm 20, verse 7, that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we, we choose to trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Now, the context of this verse in Bible times is that really chariots and horses, they were really like the definition of power in that time. That as far as like a military uh, went or politically speaking, if you had chariots and you had horses, you had power. And if you had power, it wasn't just about the power, but it was, you could say more about what that power provided. That power provided uh, protection, and it provided prosperity and safety. And really just deep down in kind of the subconscious of the people of the day, it really this gave them this sense of security. But the psalmist he recognizes in his writing that this temptation to really give in to what was visible around God's people at that time says it this way. It says, hey, even though there's chariots and horses, even though some will trust in chariots and horses, we trust. Our hope for power is in the name of the Lord our God. And so what we see all throughout the scriptures is really God making good on this verse. We see him, uh, as we kind of maybe work our way backwards, uh, starting in the New Testament, the Roman Empire of that day, Jesus comes to turn that kingdom upside down to demonstrate what power is really about. And then as we work our way backwards through the Old Testament, you have, uh, you know, you have the Babylonian Empire, then the Assyrian Empire, going back further, you know, there's a... Uh, the Philistines, you know, the David and Goliath stories in there. And then really back before all of that, there is what you might say, like if we had like a God's Greatest Hits album of God's power on display that the people of God like to point to in their lifetime and, and for generations to come, it would be the story of God's power over the power, the world power at the time, the Egyptians. God's power over the Egyptian power of the day uh, to uh, really speak to what had been happening where God's people were enslaved by Egypt uh, for at that point in the story 400 years. And so God's going to free them. And so in the book of Exodus, uh, if you're familiar with the story, great, it'll be a refresher. If you're not, no worries, I'll get you up to speed. Uh, you have God's people 400 years enslaved to the Egyptians and God calls a man by the name of Moses. And he asks, or doesn't ask, he really tells Moses, you're going to lead my people. You're going to set my people free. And fast forward with the help of 10 powerful plagues, uh, God's power on display convinces Pharaoh to listen and to let God's people go. But not too long after that, Pharaoh has like this buyer's remorse on the whole deal. And he decides he wants them back. And so he goes chasing after God's people uh, to try to get them back to be his people. And so we have this suspense-filled chase in the book of Exodus where the people are fleeing Pharaoh and his army. But they run into a problem. And that problem is called the Red Sea. And so they hit the shoreline of the Red Sea and they have no way in which to go forward. But at the same time, there's no way to go back because right on their heels is, as we said, Pharaoh and his horses and his chariots. 
And so the people, they are stuck. They are, you could say, pinned in between the Red Sea in the front, horses and chariots of Pharaoh in the back, or as maybe the saying goes, you know, a rock in a hard place. Nowhere to go. You can't go forward, can't go backward, slaughtered if they go back, drowned if they go forward. And so I would ask you this in your life. What is it that has you, you could say, pinned up? What has you trapped between something chasing you from behind and seemingly nowhere to go in the future? You know, I think about for some of you worshiping online that uh, you could say are doing it not out of convenience, but out of concern. That you have, uh, maybe you're immunocompromised or you are of an age that has your concern when it comes to, you know, this coronavirus that has been on your heels for the last number of months. But sadly, as you think about the future and, you know, keeping on waiting for things to change, you have the sense that the isolation and the loneliness is still what's ahead. You know, I think about some of the parents here in the room or parents at home uh, or in the East Auditorium. There's a bunch of parents and kids in there that uh, you're in this season of life where you have been bivocational. Uh, you've been spending the last nine months kind of refiguring out, uh, you know, what it means to do the job that you used to do. And now it's different. And, you know, they say they pivot. It's like if you hear the word pivot one more time, you're going to like pull your hair out. It's like, okay, so you're trying to figure out what your job is. And then on the, the, on, the, on the front end, you still see the reality that you still have to be an elementary age teacher or you have to be an even worse, an algebra teacher or whatever the case may be. And there seems to be no hope in this kind of duality of worlds and you're just worn out as you're stuck between what's behind and what still seems ahead. I think about for some of you and the situation of accumulating debt and added financial pressures that keep chasing you down and yet the forecast for the future financially looks no better. Or how about for those of you uh, who maybe this last season of your marriage uh, or maybe some other relationship has been a very difficult season, but as you make uh, the thoughts forward of changes that would have to take place, that too is equally as daunting. Or maybe for you, it's just an area of life that you know you have not trusted God with. But to step out in faith and to trust him is equally as uh, scary as you face the unknowns of what you have faced and what you will face. I have one friend in the life of our church who uh, she uh, is facing from behind uh, a mother who she is caring for, who is dealing with dementia and all the struggles that go with that as a caregiver, but yet in front of her, her own son who she's helping to walk through cancer. And so I would ask you, what is it in this season of your life that you, you might say you feel pinned, you feel trapped, you feel like you can't go backwards, you can't go forward, you're just stuck and you're not sure where you go from here because there is nowhere to go. Well, the story picks up for God's people in this regard. Uh, they are, I mean, they're stuck. I mean, it's the real deal. They can't go back. They can't go forward. Slaughtered from behind, drowned in the front. And here's how the story continues in Exodus 14, 10. It says, uh, it says this way. It says that as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, they looked up and saw that the Egyptians were marching after them. And they were terrified. They were terrified, naturally. You would be terrified. And it says from there, they cried out to the Lord. And we're going to come back to that. To which God responds to their crying out. He says in verse 17, he says, I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. 
The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then Moses, uh, at God's command, he stretched out his hand over the sea, and all night he drove, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites, they went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left or as we proclaimed and sang together the god of the universe turned seas into highways because he's the only god who can it is the power of god put on display by God's people crying out in prayer to God. That's what we're after today. We are after prayer experienced through the power of God. It goes on this way. Uh, he says that, uh, verse 23, that the Egyptians, that they pursued and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots because some trust in chariots and some in horses. Verse 23, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen, they followed them into the sea. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and that the waters may flow back and the Egyptians and over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And it says that the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites, they went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Because it is here that we see the power of God accessed in prayer to God. The power of God, access to prayer to God. As the Israelites, they cried out and God responds in the power of God, access through prayer to God. I came across a, um, you could say maybe a, a contemporary version of this uh, power of God, access in the prayer of God uh, through a, a missionary uh, by the name of James Frazier. He was a, a missionary to East Asia, the, the Lysu people uh, in the earliest, early 20th century. And uh, where he was at and where he was serving, that there was, um, uh, it was they, had, they were known for real bad winters. And this one particular winter, uh, he could not get up the mountain to minister to all the people uh, that he had, uh, you know, been sent there to minister to. And so he's going to get about halfway up the mountain. So he, had, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to conduct an experiment, he said. He said, I am going to minister in person to the people that I can reach on the bottom half of the mountain. But for all the people that I cannot physically reach, I will spend the season praying for them, interceding for them. And so, he, that's what he did. That winter season, he ministered to the people he could reach uh, at the bottom half and the top half. He prayed for them and he said, and I want to see what the results are. And what he discovered, what he said, is that what took place on the top half of the mountain, the spiritual growth that took place at the top half of the mountain, 
far exceeded the ministry that he was able to do in person to the people on the bottom half of the mountain. He said there was deeper love for the word of God, more holiness, more repentance, more, as we say around here, fully devoted followers of Jesus, more people not trusting in chariots and horses, but people who are really trusting in the name of the Lord their God. It was the power of God accessed in prayer alone to God. And I would argue, and I think you would agree, we live in a time, we live in a space where everybody's eyes, everybody's fixed on, you could say, the bottom half of the mountain. We're fixed on what we can see, what we can touch, what we can comment on, what we can campaign against, what we can vote for, and our eyes are fully fixed and fully populated by, you could say, all kinds of fancy horses and chariots that are all before our eyes, but the question we must continue to ask with that temptation of chariots and horses and all its versions in front of us is how are we as the people of God trusting in the power of God as we trust in the name of the Lord our God rather than in horses and chariots? How are we trusting God with the top half of the mountain, the power of God that we access by his invitation in prayer to God? And so, it's one of those things that, you know, as I, I kind of calm down and kind of turn down the preacher voice a little bit and just in conversation, just kind of get real honest and say, isn't that what we do here? Like, is this new information? Like, isn't that, don't we trust God? Isn't that like why we gather today to sing that we trust God and we show up that we say that we trust God and we pray to say that we trust God? It's kind of like, isn't it like the, the default operation of those of us who are here or exploring that or online or wherever you're worshiping? And I would say, yeah, Probably. But at the same time, it's that default operation that anything that has to do with trusting God would ever be default that is one of the most dangerous places and spaces that we could let ourselves get into. And here's why. It is amazing to me how quickly and how easily the people of God can forget and forsake the power of God. As Lacey said, that's why we sing about it, to remember and remind ourselves and not forget because it is way more easier than we recognize when we're in default mode to do that. And a wonderful, terrible example, you could say, of that is the people of God in the Exodus story. Because, I don't know about you, I'm thinking, if I had just seen this happen, there's no way I'm ever going to trust in anything other than God. And you're thinking, how could they possibly turn from the God who did this for them? Well, sadly, the story does continue as a warning to us thousands of years later. Here's how it goes. A few chapters later, uh, God's people, they've made their way through this highway of a Red Sea, and as they're making their way to become a people, God's gonna give them kind of his will and his ways and his commands. Uh, and so Moses, he goes up to the top of the mountain to pray to God, to hear from God. He's gonna bring back down to, you know, the ways in which God's telling his people to live. You know, this is where we get the Ten Commandments and all of that. But while Moses is away at the top half of the mountain, Look at what happens on the bottom half of the mountain. It says it this way in Exodus 32. It says that when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Now Aaron, he was Moses' brother, supposed to be his partner in ministry. But it says, they said to Aaron, come, make us gods who will go before us. As this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. And so the people, they gathered up their, their golden earrings and they pulled them all together and they gave them to Aaron and they had Mer uh, Aaron meld them together, it says in verse four, and he made it into an idol. 
He made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, this terrible, wonderful example of a terrible conclusion and an even more terrible decision. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They gave up. They gave up on God and Moses at the top half of the mountain. They gave in to what they could see and touch and feel on the bottom half of the mountain, which sadly, that golden calf, that what that essentially represented was the world religions and cultures around them rather than the God uh, of, of Israel who delivered them just chapters ago. And so as I think about that event and what the psalmist later goes on to describe that event as Psalm 106 verse 20 says kind of looking back on this event it says what happened in that in that moment when they exchanged what happened on the bottom of the mountain for what they could have had at the top of the mountain it says that the people of God that they exchanged they made a bad trade they exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass a little sarcasm there. It's like, okay, really? Like they exchanged the glory of God, the glorious God, the one true God of the universe. They exchanged it for what? Well, they exchanged it for a bull. And what can a bull do for you? Well, it's pretty good at eating grass. And uh, some of you might be familiar with like that country song where that guy who's good for nothing, but he's pretty good at drinking beer. It's like, like th that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. It's like, really? The glorious God exchanged for an image of a bull, not even a real, like a mirage, not even a real thing, that all it can do is eat grass. Another way we could paint this is that in our, you could say in our politically charged culture, in the politically charged environment that we find ourselves with so much energy and angst, all just driving toward this upcoming presidential election, you could ask yourself, do you trust in a candidate? Is your trust in a political party? Is your trust in the powers of what's on the bottom half of the mountain? Or to put it another way, is your trust in a Republican elephant? Or is your trust in a Democratic donkey? I mean, last I checked, elephant, donkey, bull, they all eat grass. Or is your trust we could say, in the slain lamb. Jesus Christ, Revelation 15, excuse me, not 15, chapter 5, verse 12, says, worthy only, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise because some will always trust in chariots and some will always trust in horses. But we must choose and intentionally and not in default, but on purpose, choose to trust in the name of the Lord our God. That when we live in a time where for God's people it was Pharaoh from behind and a Red Sea in front and fear all around, we live in a time where we have a pandemic at the back, we have politics in front, and plenty of fear all around. And maybe that's where you're at. You, you feel like, just like the people of Exodus 14, it says that when they got to this point, it says in verse 10 of chapter 14 that they were terrified. And as you look around, you're anxious. It's unnerving. You may even say, this is terrifying. But 
May we, in the good decision that the people made prior to the bad decision, stick with what the good decision that we have an example. When you can't go forward and you can't go backward, may we conclude that statement. Yes, they were terrified, and so they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord that when they were stuck, when they were terrified, when they couldn't go backwards, they couldn't go forward, they chose to put their trust in the name of the Lord their God in the midst of the chariots and the horses all around them. And so we must ask ourselves, not as a cliche thing that you say in church, but as a reality that we live by, how are you, how are we accessing the power of God in actual prayer to God? How are we going top half of the mountain when the bottom half of the mountain is all that seems to be blowing into our lives everywhere we look? It's a, it's, I mean, this is not like a pretty prayer. You know what a pretty prayer is, right? A pretty prayer is a thing that people like me do. Preachers do it when they're marrying and burying people. Those are pretty prayers. That's what you're going to do at Thanksgiving. No, this is not a pretty prayer. This is the people were terrified, and so they cried out. It's like the different cries of a child. Those of you who work with kids or have grandkids or kids, you know there's a difference in the cries that a child gives to a parent. You know, there's that cry that says, you know, I'm kind of hungry. You know, could you feed me? You know, there's that cry. It's like, oh, I got a boo-boo. You know, there's that cry. There's that, like, really annoying, like, whiny, I didn't get my way kind of cry that we can't stand. But then there's that cry that when, like, you, you're doing something else as a parent and you hear that crash in the background and you hear that crash and your head about spins off your neck to find where your child is at and you identify them, but you don't hear anything. Because what you see is that like three second pause of them just breathing in, just inhaling in for what's just going to be, you know, a whale as they just unleash their lungs for a cry for their mom, their dad, their, their caregiver, whoever. They, and, and that, I believe, our Heavenly Father is what is, that's what He's waiting for. He is waiting to let drop everything, to let nothing get in his way of his children who are willing to thus cry out to actually ex access the power of God in prayer to God. And so as we step through this overflow series, um, one of the things that has my attention, you might say, is the reality that what Pastor Wayne says all the time, we talk about, hey, tell, tell us what First Christian Church is all about. Number one, we are a church that prays. And the reality is the only way we can actually live up to being a church that prays is actually being a church that prays. In order to be the praying church we claim to be, we have to be a church that prays. And so as we step into this overflow series and hear the overflow of the pastoral team's heart for our church, with that is going to be an overflow and uh, an opportunity each week to make sure that we are actually being the praying church we claim to be by actually taking time as a church to pray. And so each week we'll have a different prayer opportunity, an exercise, an event of some kind for you to step into. Next week, we're really excited that we're going to be praying all over our community in various locations to cover our community. Uh, but today, really coming out of uh, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, we want to be intentional. We want to not just pray a pretty prayer. We want to invite you today to cry out in two ways. For our country and for Jesus' church. We're going to pray for our country, 
and we're going to pray for Jesus Church. So this is where you come in. Um, I'm looking at the clock. I'm doing pretty good, so I'm holding up my end of the bargain. Uh, and so what we're going to do here in a few moments is as we conclude the service, it's not really over until you do one more thing. Whether you're at home uh, or maybe for some of our other locations like in Lovington or the Belvedere or the Block, uh, some of our assisted living centers where you're able to do that or in your own home, I want you to go out to the, whatever you would call the front lawn of that location. And then for those of us in the East Auditorium and the West Auditorium, we're going to meet uh, out on the West Lawn here, just out front, uh, where you, if you're by yourself, or you came with family or friends or whoever, whatever suits you best to either pray by yourself or some others, that we're going to cry out for our country and we're going to cry out for Jesus Church. And so there's some prayer prompts that you can just grab on your phone. If you're done signing up to be a, our next drummer, you can just slide on over to firstdecatur.org slash overflow. And uh, there you'll see these two prayer prompts. And if you can't get on your phone, no big deal. It's real simple. It's just praying for our country and praying for our church. Uh, but here's the prayer prompts. We're going to go. We're going to pray that we would not be a nation that looks to elephants or donkeys or bulls that eat grass, Psalm 106.20, but to the slain lamb. Jesus Christ, Revelation 5.12. And then for there, the slain lamb's bride, his church, that's us, we cry out for the church. That in a world where chariots and horses are everywhere, we pray that we would not be a church that trusts in what we can see and even what we can do on the bottom half of the mountain, even the good things, but that we would solely trust in the top half of the mountain, that we would go to only where God can go and we can't do it. And the only way we can say we did it is because God did it, that we would really access the power of God as a church in prayer to God. And so we will do that on our front lawns respectively. Cry out for our country and cry out for our church. And so as we prepare to do that, I want to invite you here at the East Auditorium and the West Auditorium to stand with me as we proclaim and sing so that, as Lacey said earlier, we won't ever forget the power of God, access, independence, and prayer to God for doing what only God can do. And that is to turn seas into highways by the power of God, access, and prayer to God. And so wherever you're at, I invite you to sing and proclaim that as we get ready to go and pray together. Would you sing with us?